right. Ascent Church, how we doing? Good morning, everybody. Uh, as Bill said, my name is Brian, and I am still so much the new guy here at the church. I've been here a couple months, but I got to say, Nicole and I love this church. I mean, you guys have made us feel so welcome. This is our family. I mean, I can't even tell you guys. And I know, you know, we may not have had a chance to meet yet, but Nicole and I are waiting in a house getting finished, so we're basement hopping. So we just haven't lived with you yet. We can really get to know each other. But you guys just need to know, Bill and Jim are the real deal. I mean, they have been such a blessing to Nicole and I, and this church is in such an exciting season. The best days are still ahead, and I know that there's so many things going on here. You guys don't get to see all that happens in the church, but we got an awesome high school ministry that's building up. We just started college, and at one of our most recent high school things, I just want to show you, we did a handful of baptisms, and nothing gets me more excited than seeing young people take these bold steps for God, and so that's super cool. We've done two college nights. We've had over 100 college students here on a Friday night. And so it's just so amazing, and we're just getting started. So I'm just pumped about all that. I love you guys, love this church. Nicole and I could not be happier to be here. But I get the honor of just taking some time. We're going to keep talking about this Recharge series. And if you're just jumping in, the whole premise of this conversation is that life by default is just draining. It saps the energy out of us. There's so many things that just kind of drag us down. And we've been using this kind of illustration of charging a phone I honestly don't remember the last time I've been at 100%. And this is cheaper than counseling, so I'm just going to vent to you guys for a few minutes, if you don't mind. But I am totally in that young family season right now. Nicole and I just moved here. We're getting adjusted to Colorado. I'm still, you know, learning the ropes here at the job. Nicole's opening up a private practice right now, so we got all the finance and legal and websites and stuff for that. We have a 16-month-old terrorist living with us at home which is just ridiculous. And here's the thing. When Nicole and I moved here, we said, okay, no more major life transitions till we get settled in. Let's let the dust settle, and then we'll figure out what the next thing is. And a week into living here in Colorado, Nicole comes to me, and she says, we're pregnant. I said, what have you done? And she's like, what have you done? And so we got this daughter, and honestly, yes, it was a surprise, okay? Don't judge me, but here's the thing. People are joking with you. They're like, Brian, don't you know what causes that? I'm like, as a matter of fact, I do. We just happen to enjoy it, and that's what happens, okay? So it was kind of fun, though. Just about two weeks ago, we found out we're having a little baby girl, which is very exciting, little girl, super fun, which means I'm in the market for a shotgun, so if you want to talk to me after the service, I need some protection for this girl. Keep your kids away from her in the infant room. But here's the thing. This is just the season to climb in. It's diapers. It's no sleep. It's just kind of that thing. And I know all of us are in different spots and places. But one thing I just know is something is draining you right now. Something is taking away the charge. Something's taking away the energy. And I know we got a lot of students here. Finals are coming up. I've never heard a college student tell me that finals week was revitalizing or recharging in any way. I know for some of you guys, it's job stuff. It's the last quarter. You're pushing till the end of the year. And some of you guys, you're just in kid mode. You're running from soccer to volleyball to travel to all those types of things. Honestly, Thanksgiving is sometimes just exhausting. I mean, some of us, our families are not rejuvenating in any way, shape, or form. And you're going to need a vacation after Thanksgiving. Can we just be honest about that? But here's something I've honestly just kind of experienced in my own life. 
and I feel like this is true for most of us, that sometimes it's not just a busy schedule or a full calendar that's draining us. And there's actually kind of a fatigue that goes deeper than that. And I know there's seasons and times in my life where I honestly just struggle to manufacture the energy or the excitement or the passion for life that I feel like I sometimes otherwise have. And sometimes I just feel like you get in these modes where there's just a heaviness, everything just feels a little bit harder than it needs to be, and you just don't know how to kind of dig yourself out of the hole. It's like a funk. And if I were to try to define it the way I kind of describe it, I'm like, I feel like it's kind of just like this weariness of the soul. And a day off or a vacation doesn't necessarily solve it. And I want to dig into just a little letter in the Bible. We've been going through it kind of week by week. It's called Philippians. It's a short letter that a guy Paul wrote in the first century to a group of people. And the section we're going to read, he is trying to give them an alternative way of thinking about recharging themselves, of living a life of sustaining vitality and passion. Because for so many of us, we just can't seem to figure out how to keep that going. And so if you did bring a Bible, you want to dig in, follow along on the screens, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to start right from verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, here's the deal. Paul is not just saying to have a positive attitude or be happy. This word rejoice, he's saying, I want the source of all of your joy and your fulfillment and your strength to come from God. That needs to be the fountain that you're drinking from. And he goes as far as to say that this is a safeguard for you. This actually has protective properties in your life. And Paul knows, and so many of us have experienced that, so many times we start to go in different directions and look to other things to try and fill us up and satisfy us. And Paul goes, then in the next step, saying, I know this is something we all do. And in verse 2, he starts to talk about it. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, my first thought when reading this is, Thanks, Bill and Jim, for giving me all of the fun Bible verses to talk about. But, you know, if you don't know already, I am such a dog guy. I was actually going to bring a whole slideshow of pictures of my dog. But Nicole said, please do not torture the church with all your dog pictures. But here's the deal. This is not positive language with dogs. In the first century, dogs were not pets. They were not cute. They were scavengers. They were gross. They were mean. They were even known to just feed on human corpses if they could find them. Dogs were not pleasant at all. And Paul is trying to use extremely strong language to give them a picture of how dangerous some of these ideas were that these people were promoting. And what they were saying was, you need to be circumcised to be saved. Now, I've been in the ministry game a couple years now. I have never in my life had somebody come up to me and say, you know, Brian, I just really want to get closer to God. So I think I'm going to go get circumcised. Never heard that in my entire life. And if you really are somebody who wants to do that, just find me after service because I just want to meet you. Like, who are you? But here's the thing. This requires some context because in the first century, this was a big deal. The Hebrew people, 
they instituted circumcision hundreds and even thousands of years before this was even written, and it was a way to reflect an already existing relationship with God. It was never meant to be a way to earn his love or favor, but over a few centuries and a lot of time, it became so embedded in the Jewish culture that they could not even imagine a scenario where somebody could not have gone through with this and have a good relationship with God. It was unfathomable. And I just think of it's kind of like living in Denver and the Broncos. It just goes together. It's peanut butter and jelly. And if you are living in Colorado and you're not a Broncos fan, you are violating the cultural norms of living here. And here's the thing. There may or may not be somebody on our staff, I would never name names to throw them under the bus, Bill, but they are not a Broncos supporter, and it's a problem. It is a problem on our staff. But here's the thing. These guys were saying there is a list, there are regulations, there are rules, there are things that must be done if you are going to have a good life, if you're going to have God's favor, if life is going to work out with you. And Paul's saying this is horribly dangerous. And he pushes back and he says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. So he's like, there's no rules. There's no regulations. This is not a physical thing. This is a relationship with God that this is all about. Keeps going. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, this gets kind of interesting. Paul's like, okay, you want to talk about earning favor with God? You want to play that game? Let's see how this works. Here's what Paul's about to do. He's about to flex a little bit, and he's like, I'm about to just list my resume to you guys, and let's see who actually can earn God's approval. None of this is going to make sense at first read, but let's just dig into it, and we'll see where it goes, all right? He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. What Paul just did was he gave the perfect resume for a first century Jew. That could not be improved. He was circumcised at the perfect time. He had the purest bloodline. He was a Pharisee, which meant he had the entire Old Testament memorized, word for word. Not only that, he says, I obeyed the law without fault. You know, there were over 600 other commands and regulations in the Jewish law, and Paul's saying, I didn't even miss a single one. If anybody is winning at the cultural game, it was Paul. And if we were to fast forward 2,000 years and Paul was living today, he would have been able to say, I was born a Kennedy. I married into the Gates family. I went to Harvard and graduated with honors. I climbed to the top of the corporate ladder. I had 2.5 well-adjusted kids. I donate to charity. I pay my bills. And by the way, I recycle and my lawn looks amazing. Like, that literally would have been Paul's list. And He literally accomplished the entire cultural scorecard of that time. But here's the thing. None of us care at all about that list. Like, we don't value that. That's not something that's even relevant to us today. But here's the thing. Every single culture, society, even individual person has some sort of standard for what makes for a successful, meaningful 
well-lived life. We do. And whether you've written it out or even thought about it, you have some sort of internal standard for yourself that you use to measure the success and value of your life. And, I mean, we could go on and on with tons of examples, but, like, let's just say you might be single here today, and you have an idea of when the perfect age to get married would be. You have an idea of a really good spouse that you would love to marry. And if you have passed that age or it's not working, you might be freaking out and wondering if this is even going to work. Some of you students, it's grades. Those are such a big deal. Some of us, honestly, there is a physical appearance standard we have for ourselves, and you feel like you're hitting it or not. We have career trajectories we want to hit. We have income levels we want to kind of achieve. And honestly, even we have world-class athletes in this church, world-class. And performance on the track or the court or whatever is not just important. It is literally an identity. And this is where the rubber meets the road. I could never use this illustration in a student ministry context, so thank you for letting me bring it out. I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying it wouldn't work with teenagers, but here we go. Has anybody in here seen Chariots of Fire, that movie? Okay, good. A couple people. Now, there's an interesting moment in this movie. It's based on the 1924 Olympics, and this guy, Harold Abrams, is running, and he says this at one point in the movie. He says, in one hour's time, I'll be out there again, and I will have 10 lonely seconds to justify my entire existence. Now, he doesn't just want to run well. He needs to run well. It is necessary for his life to even be valid in his own eyes. Now, we'll use a little bit more of a contemporary example for all of us. You hopefully know who this is. I told this would be a heinous sin to put this on the screen, so I apologize if this offends anybody. But that is Tom Brady. You cannot argue with his athletic accomplishments. But here's what's so interesting about Tom Brady. Already at 27 years old, he had achieved more success, athletic accomplishments, fame, money, anything pretty much anybody could hope for before even turning 30. And they interviewed him And what he said to me was absolutely fascinating. This is Tom Brady. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life is complete. Me? I think there's got to be more than this. And they asked him, well, what do you think that is, Tom? And this is how he answered. I wish I knew. And what Tom is describing is the human experience of every single one of us. And it's this fact that we have these internal standards for ourselves that we feel like are necessary for our lives to be fulfilling and satisfying and meaningful. And even if we're hitting the standards, there's something about it that just feels like it's not working. Something isn't clicking. It is all not registering. And honestly, In my own life, you know, growing up, I was never a good student. My parents literally would get calls from teachers and be like, what is wrong with Brian? Does he do his homework on the bus? Does he not try? This kid has issues. And I had a sister who school came super easy to. She's an older sister. And I always felt like she just stole all of the smart genes before I was born. But school is not a thing. But I get to high school, and something just clicked in my brain where I just kind of told myself, you know what, like, Life kind of seems a little bit like a game, and I just have to push the right buttons. 
and pull the right levers during each season, and it'll kind of take care of itself. So high school, it's grades, it's extracurricular, so I took every AP class I could think of. I was in band, I did sports and everything, and in many ways, I was like, man, this is kind of working. Got a full-ride scholarship to college. Okay, good, check, buttons and levers. So I go to college, I'm like, okay, kind of the same game, let's run that playbook, let's study really hard, get involved in a bunch of stuff, and it felt like it totally worked. Full ride to grad school. Wow, this is going pretty well, right? Life works when you just press the right buttons. And then I go into grad school. College students, you will find this humorous. I took 110 graduate credit hours in two years, which I don't recommend. And I just blazed through grad school because, again, why not just press the buttons faster? If you can, rack the score up. And there was a moment in this season that was just so intense. I remember in a one-month period, I graduated grad school, moved to a new state and city, got married, and bought a house all in one month, which also do not recommend that. But here's the thing. There was a moment during that entire transition where I visited my mom, and I remember just laying on her living room floor. And I felt like a shell of myself. I was exhausted. I was depressed. I was totally jaded. And I knew something inside of me had broken. And my sister, even during that season, she was like, Brian, you just seem a little crispy. That was the word she used. You're a little crispy. And what was so weird about it was through all of the intensity and achieving and striving and trying to press the buttons and pull the levers, I had fried my soul. And there were so many people during that season say, Brian, you just need to slow down, take a day off, like you just got to relax. And on some level, that was definitely right. But under the surface of exhaustion, I had convinced myself that my worth as a human being was inseparably connected to my achievement. And as long as I was checking the right boxes and pressing the right buttons, I was okay. But if I was falling short in any area or standard I had set for myself, I wasn't just disappointed. I felt like an absolute failure. My life wasn't worth living. Success in so many ways was salvation. And I know all of us have different experiences and stories but I'm sure there's some people in this room here where you're a little crispy. There's a fatigue that has set in. There's a heaviness. There's a discouragement. There's a lack of motivation that you can't even quite figure out. And I just want to suggest to you, you may not just need a day off. Something might be broken. And you may have convinced yourself that you need something for your life to be truly satisfying and meaningful and fulfilling. And if you're falling short of that standard, you feel like your life may not even be worth living. It's not what you signed up for. This isn't what you wanted. And even if you are hitting some of the standards, you're disillusioned and confused because you don't know why it doesn't feel the way you thought it would feel. And Paul is saying this is the experience of anybody who is striving for salvation in any way. It is a game that you cannot win. It's impossible to win the game. It's a lose-lose. And you will be crushed under the weight of your own expectations and standards for yourself. 
Now, here's where Paul makes a huge pivot, changes the entire conversation. Verse 7, here's what Paul says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, Paul is so strong with his language. He doesn't say, hey, you know, I just realized I needed to slow down, spend more time with my family. I got off social media. I found some life balance. He doesn't say that at all. He says, this stuff has absolutely no value in my life when I consider what I now have in Jesus. And he keeps going. He says, for his sake... I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Now, we're going to have fun for a couple minutes here. This garbage word that Paul uses, that is an understatement of a word right there. This is the only time in the entire Bible this word is used. And Paul is trying to be so strong so offensive, so even gross with this word to try and prove a statement. We don't even have like a perfect translation for it, but the closest word to what Paul is getting at is animal excrement. Doo-doo. Poop. And many other four-letter words that would be more appropriate but I can't use in church, okay? Paul is saying every single thing I achieved, every single thing I was striving for, all the boxes I was trying to check, when I compare them to what I now have in Jesus, they are gross to me. They're disgusting. They are a heaping, steaming pile. It's gross. Next time you're going in your backyard if you have a dog or if you're going on a walk, and you see just a fresh gift from your dog, just tell yourself, there lies all of my greatest attempts at validating myself. Here's the thing. Some people are saying, well, hold hold up, Brian. I've worked hard. I've done well for myself. Life is going pretty good. And I would just say, hey, just because the pile's bigger and covered in sprinkles, it's still a pile. Some of you students are like, well, Brian, my pile's got a 4.0. And I'm saying, summa cum laude piles are still piles. Some of you guys are like, well, Brian, my pile's worth millions of dollars. I built it up from the ground. I'm saying, I don't know if that adds any value to feces at all. Some of you guys are like, I've worked so hard, Brian. I've got a small dress. I have nice hair. I've worked so hard. I've hit the standard. I'm saying, I don't know if you can pretty up doo-doo. It is doo-doo. And what Paul's just trying to get at is he's saying every single thing I did to try and create my own sense of self-worth was just a huge heaping pile. It was gross and disgusting and of no value at all. And if you found any of this offensive, please email me at jim at ascentcc.org. Okay? But Paul brings the whole thing full circle, and here's what he says. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Now, do not let this just fly over your head. If what Paul is saying is true, this is groundbreaking. This is earth-shattering. This is history-altering. Because what Paul is saying is there is no possible f- way for you to earn or achieve your own sense of self-worth. 
He's saying it's absolutely impossible. If you could, you wouldn't have the anxiety, the discouragement, the emptiness, or any of those things that you feel. You'd feel like you can completely achieve it all. But here's the good news. You don't have to. Paul says there is absolute, total validation, justification, and a complete sense of self-worth that is available to every single person. And the even better news is it is completely free. Guys, this is the foundation of the Christian faith. This is what we call the gospel, the good news. It's this fact that as a human race, throughout all of history, we've been trying to find ways to validate ourselves and experience this deep sense of self-worth, and we can't get there. It doesn't work. But God, he comes to his own creation in the flesh. And Jesus lives a perfectly, Paul uses the word, righteous, which is the resume. It's the list. It's what we feel like we need. He lives it perfectly without fault, no errors. And he doesn't just do that. He goes to a cross and he experiences a gruesome physical death. But in a cosmic, supernatural way, Jesus takes all of our unrighteousness on himself, past, present, future, and in a miraculous moment makes his perfect righteousness available to every single one of us. So if you are a Christian in this place today, please embed this in your heart. You need to get this. Your value as a human being has absolutely zero correlation to your net worth, your place on the org chart, your numbers of followers on social media, your GPA, your physical attractiveness, or anything else you can think of. None of your value could come from that, which means you have nothing to prove. You have no one to impress. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if God's opinion is the only one that matters, that means you don't have to worry about any of it. Do you see how good news this is? This is amazing. You just, thank you. You, I appreciate that. Just, I just have to make sure that we get this. The God of the universe died for you. What other validation do you need? What could you possibly achieve or accumulate that could add to that? Even if you tried, you would only taint it. You would diminish the value of it. And what makes this even more beautiful is that Paul says, this is something you can completely experience simply by faith. And all faith is, is it's trust. It's trust in something you cannot fully control or manipulate yourself. And if Jesus was willing to die for you, do you think he might be worth trusting? He knows what you need. He knows what can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart, and he can actually give it to you. Just think about how liberating this actually is. You don't have to strive. You don't have to earn. You don't have to achieve. There is nothing you can actually do to satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. But Jesus and his righteousness will never fail you. It will never fall short. 
it truly can meet those deepest desires, that true satisfaction and fulfillment that you are seeking. And it will set you free from the crushing weight of the standards and expectations that so many times we just place on ourselves. And Jesus will replace it with an overwhelming sense of joy and satisfaction and peace and fulfillment because you will know that your value and self-worth as a person does not depend on you. Which is why Paul can say with such confidence, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in the resume. Don't rejoice in the achievement or what you've accumulated. It's going to fall short. It's going to disappoint. It's never going to be enough. But when you rejoice in Jesus, when he is your true source of validation, it will never fail you. And it will fill you up in the way you've always been seeking. Can we just close our eyes for a moment of prayer? I just never want to just go through a sermon and then leave and have us miss an opportunity. So just right now, in an honest moment of reflection, let's just ask ourselves, is there anything that I feel like I need for my life to really matter? Is there anything that I feel like is necessary to truly be fulfilled? Is there a standard that I'm carrying with me that even God hasn't placed on me? I just want to ask you, how's that going for you? And whether you've been walking with God for years or never, he wants to set you free from the weight, from the expectations. And he wants to give you that righteousness. And so right now, just take a moment and say, God, I don't want to strive anymore. I don't want to try and win a game that's impossible to win. I just want to lay that all down. And I want your righteousness. I want your fulfillment. I want that satisfaction. Jesus, I want you to be what I'm truly seeking and looking for. And God, I pray for that right now. I pray that you would set us free today from trying to live up to any standards, whether they be from our culture, our family, or ourselves in any way, Lord. I pray that we would experience the freedom and joy that comes from knowing we are totally loved and accepted and invited in by you. Let us just experience the amazing freedom that that gives us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.